Take your Bibles, if you would, and go to Mark chapter 6, back to chapter 6, and we will finish up this chapter, Lord willing, today. And we are back on the subject of storms. We are just going verse by verse through the gospel of Mark, and we are back on this subject. Uh, And it's good because storms are a constant part of this journey in life. If you're not currently in a storm, you soon will be, and life is full of storms. You remember in chapter 4 that Jesus taught the disciples some lessons in a storm there, and now we come back to a very similar scene today to learn more. Just as a reminder of where we are in our text, this text that we're looking at today, it follows the incredible feeding of thousands A miracle that had the Jews at the time ready to make Jesus their king, their political king, their national king. And and seeing now that he could not only heal and that he could not only cast out demons, but also that he could raise the, the dead and that he would also be a permanent supply of food for them. Mark it down. People love free food, right? And so Jesus now has proven to them, as long as you are with me, you will not hunger. And of course, that is not his reason for coming. He did not come to be their political king or their national king. He came to seek and to save sinners and to die for sin's penalty. And because the apostles' idea of the kingdom was still very much national and political as well, Jesus takes the disciples away from this scene and he puts them back in the classroom. And that classroom is a boat, a boat in the Sea of Galilee. And he is going to teach them another lesson on faith, a faith that would need to be strengthened to fulfill his calling when he was gone. The last time that they were in a boat on the sea, he was sleeping. This time he's going to be absent from the boat altogether. And each new experience of testing, it demands of us more faith and more courage. So as we look at the text, if you're able to physically stand for the reading of God's word, let's do so in honor of it this morning. And we're going to read beginning in verse number 45 down through verse 56. And straightway he, Jesus, constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side before unto Bethsaida. While he sent away the people, and when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. And when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he alone on the land. And he saw them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and he would have passed by them. But when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit and cried out, for they all saw him and were troubled. And immediately he talked with them and saith unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And he went up unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased, and they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered, or they were in awe. For they consider not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. And when he had passed over, they came into the land of Gennesaret and drew to the shore. And when they were come out of the ship, straightway they knew him and ran through that whole region round about and began to carry about in beds those that were sick, where they heard he was. And whithersoever he entered into villages or cities or country, they laid the sick in the streets and besought him 
that they might touch, if it were, but the border of his garment, something that they had learned just a while back with the lady that touched his garment. And as many as had touched him were made whole. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the example that you give us in ministry and in life. We thank you, Lord, that these lessons are not only for the disciples of that day, but they are for us. And so we pray that the Spirit of God that you have given us as a gift to reside in us will be our teacher this morning, will enlighten our hearts, encourage our hearts where it's needed, and challenge our hearts where it's needed. We ask all this in the precious and powerful name of Jesus. And the church said, Amen. You may be seated. Verses 51 and 52 are, are such interesting verses to me. It says, while many of the Jews, they were ready to make Jesus their political savior. Look what it says about the 12, the 12 disciples, the 12 apostles. It says, he went up unto them into the ship and the wind ceased and they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered. And then it says in verse 52, they considered not the miracle of the loaves for their heart was hardened. For some reason, for the disciples, perhaps it was because they were really tired. You remember, they just wanted Jesus to send the crowds away. For whatever reason it was, it was not the feeding of the thousands that was the defining moment for these disciples, but rather this encounter on the Sea of Galilee. This encounter in the storm would be a defining moment for these disciples. It would be something that really transformed their fear into faith. It was something that would, that would change their confusion into their willingness to confess him as Lord and their wondering about him to worshiping him. This was a night of wonders. It was a night of miracles. Jesus walking on the sea. And although Mark does not give us the detail, we know by Matthew's account that this is also the time that Peter walked on the sea. And Jesus is stilling the storm and the boat arriving on the shore the instant that Jesus entered into the ship, which John gives us that detail in John chapter 6. And so as we look at this story, there are some important reminders for you and I as we go through the storms of life. This is not only God's teaching to the disciples, but it's his teaching to you and I this morning in regards to navigating the storms of life. The first thing that I want you to see this morning and note from the text is that sometimes it is Jesus that leads us into storms. Sometimes it is Jesus that leads us into storms. Look at verse number 45. And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side. You see, the disciples' encounter with this storm was a result, mark it down, it was a result of their obedience. It was not a result of their disobedience. It was a result of their obedience to Jesus. He directed his disciples to get into this ship without him for six to nine hours. You and I read this text in just a few minutes. And we might forget that this was uh, an antagonizing time for them. Six to nine hours of agonizing going through this storm. 
And why is that so significant for you and I this morning? I believe it's very significant because in our American culture, in our American Christian culture, we are conditioned to believe that if you are following Jesus, he will never lead you into a storm. And that sounds good, doesn't it? That might be a message that would encourage more people to follow Jesus. I've even seen images that depict an obedient Christian under an umbrella of, of his protection in the middle of a storm to demonstrate that, that we are exempt from the storms of life or exempt from encountering them. And while I understand the image and I understand the thought process, to me it does not depict an accurate and a complete picture of the Christian life. Because the truth is, sometimes Jesus leads us right into the middle of a storm. Sometimes he tells us to get into a boat and to go directly into the eye of the storm. Yes, sometimes storms follow disobedience. Yes, there are times when there are consequences for our sins that are the storms of life. And we see that in, in the life of Jonah, which we went through that whole book several months ago or a year or so ago. But sometimes storms and difficulties follow obedience, as in the case of Job, as in the case of Daniel, as in the case of the, the three Hebrew boys. And so I want you to get this in your heart and your mind this morning as a believer and mark this down, that storms don't always equal rebellion. Sometimes obedience equals storms. And what this story reminds us is that the will of Jesus was for the disciples to get into the ship and to encounter this storm. And look at verse number 48. They were toiling and rowing for the winds were contrary unto them. They were struggling not because of their disobedience. Look, they were struggling not because of their disobedience, but because of their obedience. And some of you, some of us need to be reminded of this today because of that voice that we constantly hear from our culture. You're in the storm because of disobedience. You're in the, the storm because of sin. It's similar to what they wanted to know of Jesus when the little boy was was blind who had sinned this boy or his parents Jesus said neither of them neither of them did and here is the point is that God may lead us into hard rowing he may lead you and I into the storm and it may be a direct result of our obedience listen because God sees the big picture and we don't we trust not our circumstances, but we trust this morning the character of our God. That he is a sovereign God. That he loves us and he cares for us. And so the first thing that we see this morning and we're reminded of is that Jesus leads into storms. The second thing that we see that I hope will encourage your heart this morning is that Jesus sees us in the storm. Not only does he sometimes lead us into storms, but he sees us in the storm. Look at verse number 48 and mark these three words. He saw them. He saw them toiling and rowing. He saw where they had been. He saw where they were. And listen, he saw where they were going to go. 
You know, right in the middle of the storm, you may not see past that storm, but I want to remind you this morning, as the songwriter said, God sees the storm from the other side. And God knows where you begin, and God knows where you are, and God knows where you're going to land. And although the enemy may try to tell you, hey, God doesn't see you, God has brought you into this and he has left you alone, I want to remind you that when God leads us into storms, he sees us the whole time. It was dark, but the darkness could not hide them from Jesus any more than the distance could hide them from Jesus. He wasn't in the boat with them, but he saw them. In Genesis chapter 16 and verse 13, we see that Hagar learned this lesson from the, for the first time when the Bible says that the angel of the Lord appeared to her and it records her response. In Genesis 16 and verse 13, she said, thou God sees me. And listen, I want to encourage some of you this morning who are going in the midst of a storm right now. Last week was a, it was a hard sermon. It was one of those, hey, if you're going to be my disciple, you better be ready to die for me kind of sermons. This week it's, hey, if you're in the middle of the storm, you need to be reminded that God sees you in the storm. Sometimes he leads us into the storm. God sees you where you are at. God sees me where I am at. Would you say that with me? God sees me where I'm at. We looked this Wednesday evening in our Bible study with our men that God sees the big picture. Let me just give you some scripture this morning that encourages us that nothing is hidden from God's eternal eye. Proverbs 5.21, the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he pondereth all his goings. Proverbs 15.3, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. Aren't you glad he doesn't just behold the evil, but he beholds the good too? That he sees the good that you do. Hebrews 4.13, neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Jeremiah 23, verse 24, can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him, saith the Lord. Do not I feel heaven and earth, saith the Lord. Second Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 9, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show him himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him aren't you thankful for that this morning that God sees us you see God sees the storm from a different perspective than we see it he sees a far wider a far truer perspective than we see And in our account in Mark, Jesus is up in the mountain and they are in the middle of the lake, four miles offshore. John gives us that detail in his record. And and yet Jesus sees them, even though he is not with them. How? I want to again remind you this morning of the character of our God that we serve this morning, a God who is omniscient. He always sees us. He is omnipresent. Although you cannot see him with your eye, he is there in every situation you find yourself in. Remember the story of Job? In the very first chapter when Satan approaches God about Job, we are reminded that God knew exactly what Job was going to go through. Job didn't know about that conversation. 
There was a lot of things that Job didn't see. He didn't know what news he was about to get from day to day. But the entire story of Job reminds us of this thought that God sees from a much wider and a much truer perspective than we do. And you know what he's wanted to teach his disciples and what he's wanted to teach you and I? You can trust me even when you can't see me. You can trust me. He sees us in the storm. Now that doesn't make it easy, does it? That doesn't make the storms easy. They were rowing, they were toiling, they were going through difficulty, but if the fact that Jesus sees you in the storm doesn't encourage you this morning, this one ought to encourage you that Jesus not only sees you in the storm, but he prays for you in the storm. He is interceding for you. Notice verse 46. And when he had sent them away, where did he go? He departed into a mountain to do what? To pray. Jesus goes away alone to pray. We don't have the details of that prayer, but what we do know is that Jesus is the great high priest who intercedes for his people. And as he sends them out into this storm, no doubt he is praying for them. I believe that the detail is in here for a reason. And one of the most humbling and one of the most encouraging things for me as a Christian and ought to be to all of us is to remember that Jesus Christ intercedes on our behalf praying for us. Remember what he told Peter in Luke 22, Satan hath desired to have you, Peter, but I have prayed for you. I'm praying for you. Paul is reminding us that God is working even in our suffering, even in our storms. When he writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 31, what shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spareth not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. Who is he that condemns? Notice this. It is Christ that died. Yea, rather that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God. Who also maketh intercession for us. And then he continues, if that didn't excite you, this might excite you. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, as it is written, for thy sake, we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God sees us. He is praying for us. And if you find yourself in the middle of the storm today, or when you find yourself in the middle of the storm today, I hope that you will remember this. Sometimes God leads us into the storm. 
God always sees us in the storm. He is praying for us in the storm. And then fourthly, Jesus is our greatest need in the storm. I want you to mark this little phrase. He would have passed by them. He would have passed by them. It's an interesting little phrase, and there is a lot of speculation as to what that means. I don't personally believe that it is a reference to Jesus ignoring them or seeing them and kind of messing with them. In fact, I believe what it's really saying is that Jesus desired to come alongside of them. That he knew exactly where they were and he knew exactly when he needed to arrive there. And I think that the language here takes us back to the Old Testament. I want to take just a moment to take you back to the Old Testament to similar language and terminology to help maybe give us a clear understanding. God's people find themselves in this Old Testament passages in very dark and difficult days and storms. And God in the storm revealed himself to his people in greater ways than they had ever seen before. And the language that it uses when it talks about him doing that is the same language that we see here. Moses is experiencing all kinds of storms and he's crying out to God for wisdom and direction as the leader. And I want you to listen to God's response to him in Exodus chapter 33, beginning in verse number 19. He, God said, I will make all my goodness, notice this phrase, pass before thee. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And he said, thou canst not see my face for there shall no man see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me and thou shalt stand upon a rock and it shall come to pass. Here it is again. While my glory passes by that I will put thee in a cliff of the rock and will cover thee with my hands. Here it is again while I pass by then the next chapter 34 look at it again verse 6 and the Lord passed by before them and proclaimed the Lord the Lord God merciful gracious long-suffering abundant in goodness and truth keeping mercy for thousands forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin and that while by no means clear the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children upon the children's children under the third and fourth generation and Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped him you see time and time again when Jesus says I am with you I'm coming beside you I want you to see my glory in a new and fresh way he says he passed by them elijah the same way in in uh, first kings chapter 19 elijah you remember he was so discouraged he was depressed the bible tells us he was so depressed that he wanted to die and at the end of his rope Listen to how God responds to Elijah in 1 Kings 19, verse 11. He said, go forth, Elijah, stand upon the mountain before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rock before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake, and after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire, a still, small voice. And it was so, when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in 
and his mantle, and he went out and he stood in the entering in of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and saying, What doest thou here, Elijah? Again, reminding him that I am here with you, Elijah. So listen, in our text in verse number 48, when it says that Jesus would have or he intended to pass by them, I believe this is a reference to him coming alongside of them to reveal himself to them in great glory and power, which he did, by the way, didn't he? Showing them, in essence, again, that he was their greatest need. Look at verse number 51 at what happened. And he went up into them into the ship, and the wind ceased, and they were sore, amazed in themselves beyond measure, and they wondered. In fact, Matthew's account of this same story in Matthew chapter 14 says that when he, they had come up into the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship, which was the apostles, which was the disciples, they came and they worshipped him, saying, notice this, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. This was that defining moment for the disciples. This was the first time, the first public proclamation from the disciples that Jesus was not just a national king who was going to save the day, but this was indeed the Son of God that the Old Testament had prophesied of. You see, the phrase, be not afraid, stretches from Genesis to Revelation more than a hundred times. Be not afraid, fear not. And here it is, don't miss it. Your biggest need and my biggest need in our greatest storm, church, it is not a vacation. It is not a bonus check. It is not anything temporary that this earth can give you. What you and I need in our storm is Jesus himself. Listen, you don't just need peace. We need the Prince of Peace. The source of it all. Our greatest need, you say, if if my circumstances would just change, if this was just different than it is, it's not our circumstances that need to change. Our greatest need is that we would encounter, as God desires in these storms, that we would encounter the grace and the glory and the greatness of Jesus in ways that we have never before as he passes by. Revealing to us who he really is. Revealing to us his strength. Or as the psalmist said in Psalm 23 and verse 4, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, notice, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you're with me. You're present. Let us stop asking why long enough. To ask what? What, God, do you want to teach me in this storm? Sometimes we ask why, and there's nothing wrong with asking why. But sometimes we ask why so many times that we forget to ask what. 
God, what are you wanting to reveal to me about yourself and your character and who you are in this storm that I would not be able to experience any other way? Thank you, God, so that at the end of it we can say, thank you, God, for leading me into this storm. You see me. You pray for me. And you made me realize that it is really you that I need. When I was a child, we used to sing the song, and Kim and I taught it to our children. It's got motions to it, of course, as all the children's songs. With Jesus in my boat, I can smile at the storm. Smile at the storm. Smile at the storm. With Jesus in my boat, I can smile at the storm. With Jesus in our boat, maybe we as adults need to grasp that, right? With Jesus in our boat, we can still smile at the storm. How can you do that? How can we do that? Not in and of ourselves. You see, when our energy is at its lowest, we need to be reminded this morning that Jesus is with us in the storm. When our despair is at its peak, Jesus will show up. He meets us in our weakness. And listen, even now, though we're separated from him physically and we can't see him, guess what? He is in heaven at the right hand of the Father, interceding, praying, still praying for you and I. A sovereign God saw you before the storm. He sees us during the storm. He sees us after the storm. And here is how we can smile in the storm, rejoice in the storm. As we get in our hearts, we talked about this this morning in our Sunday school, as we become more and more eternally minded instead of temporary minded, as we believe in our heart what the Bible tells us, that it's all leading to eternal glory with him. We quote it a lot, but it is the heart of how we can do this, Romans chapter 8. And we know, we don't hope so, we don't think it might be so, church, we know that some things, no, that how many things? All We know, do you know that? We know that all things work together. Say the next two words with me. For good. Do we believe that? Not because of the circumstance, but because what we believe about the character of God. For good to them who love God, to them who are called. Here is the key. Not according to my purpose. Not according to my plan, according to his purpose, his plan. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate, notice this, to be conformed to the image of his son. Do you know that the greatest desire of God for you and I is not for us never to experience storms. It's not for us to be comfortable. It is for us to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. Aren't you thankful for that? 
But look at the end. Whom he justified, them he also, what? Glorified. Glorified. You see, church, it's all leading to glory. It's all leading to glory. It's all leading to eternity. It's all leading to being with Jesus eternally on the other side. And if you're here this morning, I just want to remind you, your greatest need in the storm, don't let it push you away from Jesus. Get as close to him as you possibly can in the boat. Hope in his word and pray to him and ask him to be able to give you the strength to smile in the storm, to praise him in the storm. I love that song. God wants to hear you sing, not when it's sunshiny outside. God wants to hear you sing when the storms are raging around you. Because that's the real test of whether we believe in his character or not. Anybody can smile when the sun's shining. Anybody can smile when life is good. But it is the Spirit of God in and through us that gives us the ability to be able to smile in the storm and to give God glory. And lastly, and I'm done, Jesus is for others in their storms. I love this last little part. In verse 56, notice, And whithersoever he entered into villages, cities, or country, they laid the sick in the streets and besought him that they might touch, if it were but the border of his garment, and as many as touched him were made whole. We've seen the intercession of Jesus. We've seen the protection of Jesus, of the disciples. But again, this comes back to the same thought that we saw with the feeding of the thousands. Remember, when the disciples saw the thousands, they said, let's get rid of them. Send them away. Remember what it said about Jesus? When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with what? Compassion. Here he is again. Here he is again. The ministry of Jesus to people. If Jesus teaches us anything as we go throughout this gospel of his life, it is to love people and care about people's eternal destiny. The people we're around all week, look, church, we're not the only ones in a storm. The people you work beside the people that live in your neighborhoods, guess what? They're going through storms too. And if just for a moment we could stop looking at ourselves long enough to look at the others all around us who God has put in our path to impact for eternity so that they might see that there is truly something supernatural in our life. You know, for some... The storms do present a hopeless situation. And I would not be a complete preacher of the gospel without telling you that if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, it is pretty hopeless. Let me rephrase that. It's not pretty hopeless. It's real hopeless. It's eternity without him in a place the Bible calls hell. 
A lot of people wanted what they could get from Jesus physically, temporarily, the healing. But as we talked about in our faith group this morning, the healings were great. But guess what? When they were healed of their sickness, those people got sick again. The raising of the dead certainly demonstrated the power of God. But guess what? Every single one of those that he rose from the dead, they all died again. He did all of those things to demonstrate his power so that he could give them something that would change them eternally. Eternally. He offers not just the bread to live another day. He didn't just feed them to give them bread to live another day. No, he gave them bread to live another day so that he could tell them about that he was the bread of life that would feed their hunger eternally. He would give them water where they would never thirst again. And if you're here today and you've never done that, the Bible is clear that if you will come in faith and repentance, that he will save you. And listen, I'm not telling you that he'll take the storms away. I'm not telling you he won't lead you in the storms. He certainly will. But he'll be there with you. And he'll guide you and direct you through it until we reach our final destination.